Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. Each episode features a discussion of current topics from the latest consumer trends and new products to shifts in markets and lifestyles. I'm Andrew McDougall, Associate Director of Beauty and Personal Care at Mintel. And today I'm joined by three of my colleagues around the world, uh, all working from home. Uh, but thank you very much each for joining me. Ruri, uh, Toby and Marissa uh, are all on the line. And today we're going to discuss the COVID-19 outbreak, focusing on our expertise in consumer behavior and what this means. And we'll also be looking at what other markets can learn from China, uh, given that timelines are all different right now. So first and foremost, thank you all again for joining me on the podcast. Uh, if each of you just want to give a short introduction to who we are, um, should we start with you, Rui? Hello, thank you, everyone. Uh, my name is Rui Xu. I am the head of uh, reports of North APAC. I've been with Mintel for seven years now. Hello, I'm Marissa Gilbert. I am Mintel's U.S. Associate Director of Health and Wellness. Uh, I've been with Mintel for over five years. And I'm Toby Clark. I'm the uh, EMEA Director of Research, and I've been with Mintel pretty much forever. I think it's almost 20 years now. And you don't look a day over 21, Toby, either, which is just boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. I'm feeling a little bit older than that today. (laughs) Well, hopefully by the end of this conversation, you won't be feeling uh, even older. Uh, But to start with then, as I say, is that very um, sensitive topic uh, and very relevant topic right now of COVID-19. As I mentioned before, we're kind of all working from home in different uh, areas. So we have Marissa uh, in the Americas, we have Toby in Europe, uh, and Rui uh, also in Asia. Um, So what I wanted to do to start with was really really looking um, at how the impact of the outbreak is affecting consumers in different ways in different markets, Uh, but also with the news that China are further ahead in the process or down the timeline than the rest of the world. Uh, And now they're looking to lift certain restrictions, for example, in society. Um, It would probably be good to start with you, Rui, um, with the sort of current state of play uh, in China uh, and the biggest impacts that we've seen in China on consumer behavior. Thank you, Andrew. Um, I think, yes, to start with, just to give everyone uh, a bit background of uh, where China is now and um, sort of life over the last two months. Um, as everyone knows, you know, China started um, cities lockdown since the end of January. And after the last two months, um, I would say now uh, most of the business outside Hubei province are uh, coming back to normal operations. Um, and even um, Hubei province from the government's announcement um, this week, they will lift the lockdown of Hubei and even Wuhan from the 8th of April. Um, So I think just um, as different markets are going through um, the situation at different stages, there will be um, different feelings at initial nervousness, confusion, and then people start to adapt to changes in their lives and uh, calm down uh, and relax uh, a little bit. So in terms of impact on the consumer behaviors, um, we obviously see a lot of consumers feeling, um, you know, their lifestyles are being impacted because of reduced outdoor activities, social distancing measures, um, but also more safety and hygiene measures. Um, We have the latest tracker data on China to um, support all these um, things are happening in place. Uh, But also we are seeing actually people have have spent more in making their living at home more pleasant or enjoyable. I think that pursuit of life quality, um, once you have, you know, 
things start to cool down and start to um, relax a little bit, life quality is still an important um, factor in, in people's um, lives. So we're seeing, you know, shifts from uh, dining out to paying more attention to home cooking, um, growing sales of snacks, um, and to, you know, purchasing of uh, gaming, fitness equipment, and even for home working, uh, home working furniture. So there's a lot of opportunities, I think, when consumers' life all of a sudden, you know, are more confined to a, a small space, um, but how to enjoy themselves in living at home, working from home, is definitely some, you know, uh, provides a lot of opportunities for, for business. Um, and related, it gives people more reasons to try new experiences. Um, what we have noticed is definitely online shopping of fresh groceries have, you know, had a huge pike um, in the last two months. So definitely people are, you know, trying new things and adapting. Yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned about sort of the working from home and how behaviours are now changing as well. I mean, from my my perspective looking at beauty and personal care is things like are people going to be washing their hair as, on a daily basis do we have more time to do hair treatments or different skin treatments so it really is interesting to see how sort of behaviors are changing uh, for for you toby and for you marissa um obviously being uh, in europe and the us slightly sort of uh, earlier in the timeline, I guess, um, with this type of outbreak. Uh, but Europe is now being seen as the epicenter um, of the outbreak. The US, it does seem like the situation is rising there. I mean, is there any sort of similar things that you're seeing now in your markets um, it, with regards to consumer behavior? Or is there anything strikingly different? I think, I mean, so we're probably, I don't know, I guess maybe six weeks behind China. And it's interesting, so much of what we've seen in China, we've, we've, seem to be following a similar pattern. So we had stockpiling of, or not, yeah, stockpiling of dry goods, of tin goods, of all those sort of store cupboard essentials. Uh, that was that sort of initial phase of panic and concern. But, you know, really talking about increased sales of home and office equipment, of electricals, I mean, that's already starting to come through in the UK, in Europe, sure. I mean, I think uh, Dixon's Car Phone Warehouse talking about having really, really strong sales over the last couple of weeks with people basically cocooning. So whether it's freezers or TVs or games consoles, people are trying to find ways of of passing the time. Yeah, I would agree. I think we're seeing exactly the same thing in the U.S., Um, early grocery shopping, stockpiling of hand sanitizer, um, sort of the things to protect people um, against germs. Um, and then, of course, now as people are settling into shelter in place, about two thirds of the U.S. right now has stay at home orders. Um, you know, people are starting to make their homes command central and, and stocking them up accordingly so that um, they can be as comfortable as possible. I think a great sign of British behavior. Like we love our gardens and we love our boots. And uh, so you can see, I mean, all the gardening home decoration websites are so slow, so over capacity. And basically any online food retailer seems to be pretty much out of stock at the moment. So you, so you can see Brits are following type. Like they want a potter of that in the garden and they want to do it with a big glass of wine. Toby, I heard the news um, about people, British people, like queuing to buy 
chickens. Is that true? Or is I, that I mean, that's the other thing British people love. Like, we love a queue. So I think people are going to be queuing for anything. I, th- I mean, a lot of it, I think, actually is really, really, there's been some really harsh criticism of shoppers. I don't know if it's the same in, in the US, but a lot of criticism of, of stockpiling and panic buying and selfishness, which I actually think is, is being really unfair. I think it's, it's more a reflection of a few, like a lot of people making small shifting in purchasing patterns. And all you need, I mean, there's, there's millions of people in the country, you only need a small shift in behavior for that to have a big impact on supply chains and stock levels. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's been a lot of queuing, but I think it's, it's the idea that it's selfish hoarding, I think is really, really unfair on consumers. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. We've had a shift in recent years of people taking smaller shopping trips and just picking up sort of what they need in the here and now versus um, making really planned trips, especially in urban centers and even suburban areas. So yeah, I think that it's just people were making bigger purchases in preparation for having to stay home. And that, um, of course, um, had a look that made people look like they were panic buying. Nick Carroll, our uh, grocery analyst in the UK, made a really, really smart analogy, which is basically supermarkets spend all year planning for Christmas. You make sure stock levels are sorted and they're facing a, a demand spike probably in excess of Christmas with no prep. So I think it's, it's no wonder they've been, they've been shortfalls. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even though we're in the midst of cold cough and flu season, hand sanitizer as a product, um, you know, wasn't something a lot of consumers were turning to, um, to protect themselves from germs. So the spike that we experienced in the U.S. was unprecedented because, um, you know, trends had been turning away from hand sanitizer. And so companies scrambled really to make sure that um, they had that in stock for consumers. And the same for um, antibacterial wipes with um consumers leaning more towards natural um, or starting to lean more towards natural ingredients in their household care products. Um, people realized that uh, maybe bleach wasn't in many of their products. <laughs> and so they were, um, you know, scrambling to get to the store to pick up those more effective um, cleaning products. That's a really interesting point as well, because especially again, from the beauty perspective, um, we sort of see it thinking, well, are we now going to see cleansing products, for example, um, are sort of given more priority now, uh, sort of these base level products as people look at personal hygiene as being a lot more important. But do you think now as well, off the back of what you're saying there, that health and safety are going to become a much bigger priority for consumers in comparison to other trends such as sustainability, for example? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we're definitely going to see safety become a new component or a stronger component of people's health management. Um, safety against germs, safety against, um, you know, other sort of the unknowns that consumers might be um, facing. Um, but cleanliness, for sure, I think that is going to become something that consumers are going to expect to see more of from brands moving forward still. I think um, in the U.S., and I'm sure globally, a lot of brands have been sending emails saying what they're doing to protect their customers and their employees um, in terms of cleaning in the stores. And uh, I think that expectation, sometimes you're like, weren't you cleaning well before. Um, And now I think there's going to be that expectation that that cleanliness um, will persist well after. Andrew, I think you touched on a very interesting point. And I think we have been talking to um, clients asking the same question. So um, when online delivery is, um, you know, there's so many orders for online deliveries during the um, quarantine period. And it's hard for consumers to say, 
um, I don't need those products uh, just because, you know, I want to um, be environmentally friendly or the packaging waste and all that. Um, I think it's very, you know, realistic reaction. Um, but for brands, it, it doesn't always mean it has to be a, a trade-off. Um, so one thing I was noticing is um, in Europe and in US, sometimes if I go to the supermarket and buy packs of yogurt and they don't come with plastic spoons because I think you can make a choice whether to have them um, uh, if you eat it on the go or if you eat it at home you actually don't need those um, plastic spoons. I, I think a lot of brands in China haven't you know, um, realized that there's an opportunity uh, here given now there's so much snacking and you know like yogurt consumption is taking place indoor at home um, so really uh, do we still need to provide every you know yogurt cup a plastic spoon is that a way for consumers to feel actually i can change little you know in my day-to-day -day behavior and uh, help protect the environment so i think we tend to think okay consumers are you know have to do a lot of uh, order a lot of deliveries now, so sustainability is not on top of their mind. I think there's a realistic reaction to that, but it's also um, important for companies to think outside. You know what what they can do differently to help consumers manage. I think I mean it's it's totally natural that cleanliness and hygiene are going to be right at the top of the agenda, uh, and that's that's inevitable and that's totally understandable. But I think. These long-standing, this long-standing push towards sustainability and naturalness, these these sort of product characteristics people have been looking for more and more in the last, you know, five ten years. They'll, you know, they'll naturally take a bit of a backseat at the moment, but I can't see this going away. And I think if you look, you know, a lot of the social media coverage of the, the upsides of this crisis is like people, a lot of people talking about the reduction in pollution, about cleaner streets, about sort of, you know, improved water quality, all these kind of discussions, you know, in a way you've got to wonder whether this this tips the balance even more, like people see what the country can be like when some of this is taken care of, maybe that shifts the emphasis even more. So yeah, I think hygiene will, will naturally be at the front of people's minds, but I don't think this is going to wipe out those other desires that consumers have got. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's going to just be a stronger balance um, for the products that lean natural. Consumers are going to want to know what those ingredients are doing, what the effectiveness of them, um, perhaps especially um, in the household cleaning space. Um, you know, I've realized some of the products I was buying, you know, plant-based ingredients and things like that have a cleaning effect, but not a disinfecting effect. So I think just there'll be stronger communication moving forward um, as consumers will demand to know what the product ingredients are doing. I mean, you've got a lot of these Cinderella products that people have not paid a lot of attention to for years. So, you know, food, food you've got ambient products, you've got store cupboard essentials. I mean, it's stuff like basic soap. I mean, so much of the discussion has been around wash your hands with soap. If you can't do that, use antibacterial. You know, this is, in a way, it's like a massive endorsement for quite traditional products that, would have been seen as quite old school, but, you know, bar soap is, is suddenly, you know, this is the way to protect yourself. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, actually, to see what comes off the back of this then, as you say, like these sort of traditional categories, are they going to see this sort of rebirth now, this sort of reawakening? Um, I mean, is there a way to uh, predict what the best strategies will 
be looking ahead, sort of post-COVID outbreak? Um, I mean, is this going to impact innovation and new launches? I mean, what can we expect in, in sort of the different markets, do you think? Um, I think in China, uh, we do see um, a slowdown in new product activities during the initial period of the lockdown. And because people are having extended leave or a lot of people, workers, are still remaining in their hometown. But um, very quickly, I think at the end of February or starting early March, new, new product um, starts to, you know, the speed starts to recover. Um, but very interestingly is um, now brands are speeding up MPD activities um, with launching products first day online. Uh, I don't think this is necessarily totally new because there are, you know, Timo, uh, these online retailers have been partnership um, with brands to launch new products flagship new products online. But I think this um, uh, special con- uh, condition just catalyzed all these changes to happen more. Uh, and I do think this is, this is going to continue into the future. Um, so if we log on to, uh, for example, follow all, any brand on Timor nowadays, they give you a lot of um, daily feeds uh, about what's new today. And so you can actually see in terms of new product launches, there's a lot of new excitement for you to you know, keep you logged on to the online retailers. So I think this really changes how consumers think, you know, where they go shopping in the future. Um, it's not just like whether it's online versus offline, a competition. Um, I think our tracker data suggests even in March, uh, 54% of consumers still have shopped in offline supermarkets and hypermarkets. Um, and I think they've, they've undergone, uh, underwent a tough, challenging period. But if you look at how supermarkets, um, some of them are reacting in a very, I would say a very, um, encouraging way. So if you go to some of the supermarkets now, um, they will give you a sanitizing wipe of the trolley uh, just before passing the trolley on to the customer. Um, so I think that kind of human touch and really to show how the retailers um, care about their customer is something that cannot be, you know, um, replaced by just online activity. I think, I mean, so yeah, it's not just new product development in terms of products, but I think there's a lot of innovation happening in terms of distribution. And th- this is one of the things that I found really, really interesting talking to Ruyi about. So Ruyi, when you're talking about local retailers and how they innovated with distribution and how they reached out to their customers. Yeah, so um, I think we initially noticed um, a lot of you know, middle-aged um, senior people uh, have to try online shopping during the outbreak. Um, but they realize sometimes the um, compared to the younger generation, some of the apps, shopping apps or websites are not exactly user friendly for them. Um, so the local supermarkets have actually reacted more uh, quickly by taking orders um, on a WeChat group. So if you ask a retail a, a shop owner and, and you can just you know talk to them or write down your you know grocery shopping needs and they will get it delivered door to door as well. So I think um, you know this is something that um, probably e-commerce companies wouldn't do because they you know have all those um, more sophisticated web design or app design for people to do um, online shopping. But just as the outbreak 
then start to you know change people's online you know how you do online shopping and how creative people can be or you know in looking for convenience um, there's a lot of new changes to how people could shop online i think it's that's an interesting um innovation that is not happening so far in the U.S. Um, and I think that as our older populations who are mo- more vulnerable are in uh, sheltering in place longer, um, it's going to be harder for them to get the goods they need delivered as they might struggle with online shopping for um, grocery, especially. We're, I'm definitely seeing some of that coming through in the U.K. And I think it's really, there's not many upsides to this situation, but I think like one of the few upsides is it's a lot, sometimes it's the smaller companies that have got the agility to be able to really respond to those, those consumer needs like on the ground. And, you know, around where I am, there's definitely been like a resurgence in interest in supporting local businesses and the support of the local businesses then supporting their community. It becomes really symbiotic. And again, like, it's something that really, really stood out in my early conversation with Ruyi. And it's, it's really interesting to see that I'm now not exactly the same thing in the UK. Yeah, I think the, you're right. The the whole community spirit and the po- the positive side to come from this um, does seem to be more apparent. It does seem to have brought the best out in a lot of people. Um, it's very easy to talk about sort of the panic buying and the stockpiling and the negatives, but actually there is this sort of community spirit as well, I think, that's grown. Uh, and hopefully that'll be one of these sort of legacy things that comes off the back of this now as well, that maybe it will sort of bring people sort of closer together in that sort of community culture um, spirit. Uh, I mean, we've spoken a lot there about uh, the online um, sort of advantages or the, the sort of the, the online boosts that we've seen. Um, we saw um, back in 2003 when there was a SARS outbreak that there was uh, a boost in online activity uh, and online sales in China. So what is the impact of the COVID-19 sort of legacy expected to have? Is it going to be much more on top of that? Because they're kind of already online shopping now. Um, but also, what is the impact on companies and categories that rely heavily on physical retail as well? I mean, how, what is the impact going to be um, sort of long term? Mm, I think, Andrew, um, this is a very good question. Um, when SARS um, happened in China, uh, I think more than sem- about 17 years ago, um, it really gave the uh, e-commerce business uh, a strong you know, development uh, and that boost. For uh, COVID-19, I think the legacy is because so many people are already doing shopping online, um, it's interesting for those business or industries who used to think probably online is further away for them. Um, For example, food service, right? People assume that, yes, you need to dine out physically in a restaurant. So online, why bother? Um, At at most, it's food delivery. But I think the outbreak has um, pushed a lot of business to think about, hey, what if, you know, People become, uh, you know, less, uh, they get encouraged to stay indoor. Are those offline business more vulnerable to, to risk? So how do I diversify? How do I manage those risks? I think that will be a big legacy for um, business after the outbreak. Uh, and I, don't, I do see that companies um, are improvising. So, for example, I think we um, talked about this earlier uh, with Toby, is um, Alibaba's Herma Fresh uh, grocery delivery service. Um, they have partnered with um, some, some restaurant trains by combining workforces. So because people are not dining out during the outbreak, um, you have... Uh, 
you know, the restaurants and staff to, you know, uh, do, do not have any uh, work at the moment. So Alibaba, what they have done is to um, combine the workforce and so the restaurant staff could um, help also help with uh, delivery services. And um, we also noticed some food service brands are diversifying their offerings. So they start to sell more packaged food and, pro uh, food and drink products, private label sources, for example, or even fresh groceries. Um, there's also a change of how you market yourself um, in online. So uh, Xiaolongkan, for example, is a famous hot pot uh, restaurant chain we're seeing. Uh, the senior uh, management uh, and some shelves now appear in live streaming to promote their products um, and how to, you know, uh, how they enjoy cooking. So I think a lot of industries will realize that they have to embrace e-commerce uh, at some point and food service, all those changes they are experiencing now is the best uh, example of this. So this is the thing from the conversations I've had with Wu Yi. I mean, what any US American brand needs to do is uh, get on the phone to Wu Yi because, like, so much of what she's talked about <laughs> happening, like, we're starting to see coming through. And so, you know, when she's talking about the shift in food service, I mean, Leon being really, really imaginative in terms of, you know, physical food service outlets shifting that to almost like a hybrid of ready meals or, or takeout. So you can go into Leon and get your food to take away, <clears throat> either have it hot or, or take it home with you. And again, that's something that we picked up was happening. And I saw Leon doing exactly the same thing. I was like, yeah, okay, so really you saw it coming. I think there's that during the financial crisis or after the financial crisis, I mean, obviously this is a really different situation. But the brands that could improvise and could adjust and could respond and could really, really, like, were really good at supporting their customers. They were the ones that came out of it really, really strongly. And again, it's a totally different situation, but I think the general principle is there. The ones that treat their customers right can build loyalty that will last for, for a long, long time. The ones that don't might get that short-term benefit, but long term it's it's really going to hurt that their relationship with their customers yeah i think too just thinking about how brands are interacting with consumers um digitally now has really expanded there's there's more vulnerability between um, brands and consumers um you know finding places to connect online um and i think this shift too is going to persist um you know brands have been more personal, gotten, you know, sort of that we're all in this together approach. Um, Nike just launched a new campaign um, in the U.S. and um, they're taking, you know, sports have been canceled effectively, um, you know, across the country and, and most of the world. So, um, you know, they're taking the approach that this is us, you know, team us, we're in this together. Um, and I think that is sort of the sentiment too that has been, um starting to take hold in the US. I think actually that's a, that's a really nice way of putting it. The brands that are going to do well are the ones that do have that team us, like we're in this together, let's support each other. It's easier to do on yep. a local level, mm -hmm. but big brands can still do it. And the brands that are going for self-preservation and we're going we're gonna to look after ourselves first and try and undo the damage later on, people, you know, they're not going to forget that. 
Well, we've already seen sort of these blacklists circulating on social media, haven't we? Of people sort of taking note of all the brands that are doing exactly what you're saying there, Toby. And it's almost like, well, when when we do sort of get back to normality, whatever that is, then these these big brands who've taken those steps may may potentially see the hit um, in in some different regards. Um, I guess sort of the, the final question I wanted to ask then was then looking then at what the future now means then as we hopefully sooner rather than later take steps back to normality and hopefully we we defeat and get over this this uh, latest outbreak um is there going to be any going back now with regards to consumer behavior or is this going to be permanently changed uh, and if so how why and in what way are we going to see sort of consumer behavior sort of change uh, particularly in different in different categories i there's stuff that will stick so the financial crisis that changed consumer behavior fundamentally and even when you know the income squeezed eased, a lot of the a lot of the habits which people took up in the aftermath of the financial crisis did stick. So we've still we've never really got away from that savvy shopping sort of bargain set seeking approach, which really kicked in after the financial crisis. I think some of it will fade. I do think that that emphasis on on natural, clean label sustainability it might take a backseat for now, but I think that still is a fundamental driver for consumers. So some of it. Those big picture consumer drivers, they're still going to exist. But I think, you know, as in the aftermath of SARS, I think, okay, so online in the UK is really, really well established. Online grocery in the UK is really established, but this is going to step it up to a new level. And then in other European countries, you know, we, we've got uh, report series in Germany, for example, and online grocery there is really, really small. This, I think, could have a similar sort of seismic effect as, as SARS had in, in China. So some of it will fade, but I think there'll be consumer groups that have changed their behaviours and those behaviours will stick. I think, Toby, it's interesting you have um, used the comparison of the financial crisis back in 2018. Uh, what we've noticed very interesting from the tracker data is a clear you know, um, drop in financial security um, immediately after the outbreak because people are worried about whether their you know, jobs will be there or are they going to take um, pay cuts, etc. And so I think what will change after this is um, it will give people more reasons to think about um, mindful consumption. So in the um, simplest sense, um, we see, you know, the younger generation um, who think they have you know, uh, family as their parents to support them financially, um, who may rely a lot on credit spending. Uh, now, um, if you don't, you know, um, become very independent or you cannot land on your feet, you can see actually things could, you know, bad things could happen or you could become vulnerable, you might lose your job. So um, it could change people's um, shopping behavior and how they, you know, look after their financial well-being by thinking more carefully about what is really important in their lives and how do they manage their consumption habits. So I think this shift into more, I don't necessarily think it's, you know, cutting costs or um, going back to that saving uh, mindset, but it's more about being cautious and mindful uh, in managing consume, uh, consumption. What is really important? Do I really need this or do I really just buy this because I can post a photo on Instagram or social media to showcase to others? I think that conspicuous consumption mindset might be shaken in the future um, because people start to realize what's more really important in their life. 
I think that's actually a really good point. And we've seen the impact that the financial crisis had on the mindset of millennials. And so the millennials get so much grief, so much of the time for avocados and whatever, but that really doesn't ring true with a lot of our research. And what you've got is a generation that is mindful, that in a lot of ways is actually really conservative, that is, you know, cares about the environment, that, like I say, is, is kind of much more risk averse than you'd expect. A lot of it is just old people complaining about young people, which they've always done. So you can see the, the effect that's left on people's mindsets. And, you know, this inevitably is going to have that sort of worldview shaping effect on, on Gen Z, for example. And even, you know, the younger counterparts, this is the kind of thing that they're going to be talking to their kids about in 60 years' time. So it will have an impact on psychics. There's no way it won't. Yeah, I totally agree. This is a life-defining moment for a lot of people. Um, even older adults haven't experienced something um, that is impacting the entire world at the same time. Um, I think, too, it's really, you know, as we kind of touched on earlier, brand ethics are going to be important here and now, um, how brands are responding. Um, big brands are responding to help little brands or um, just people, individuals, and how um, small brands and local brands are, you know, supporting communities and things like that. I think that message um, is going to stick with consumers now and that's how they're going to um, post-COVID look to support brands as those that really stepped up and helped in, in this crisis. I think that's a really important point you make there as well about how um, this is something that so many markets are going through rather than just being sort of somewhere, you know, the other side of the world that, you know, you need to know about, but you're not having, it's not impacting you so much that the impact this is having um, on things like anxiety levels, as well as different behaviors, different ways that we're acting uh, within our communities. Um, this, I mean, I, I can't think of a time in my lifetime that this has been, there's been such a big impact like this. So it is going to be really interesting to see for the future what sticks and what goes going forward um, but I think there will be as, as Toby mentioned and Rui as well um, as yourself Marissa is that there are going to be a lot of these things um, that some will fade but there will be these key things whether that's the community spirit or the way that we shop um, there are going to be sort of bigger longer term impacts from this unfortunately uh, that is all we've got time for today I know we could probably sit on here for another half an hour and talk um, even more so um, I can't thank you all enough for today for taking the time out to have this discussion with us uh, and certainly for your input today as well it's been really insightful uh, and definitely gives an insight into what is and what will happen on a consumer level at this moment so uh, Marissa, Toby, Rui thank you so much uh, for joining us on this podcast today thank you it's also a good point for me to mention that we have a whole host of insights specifically looking at the COVID-19 outbreak in different markets around the world uh, on the Mintel platform if you have access to that. Uh, so please check that out uh, if you wish. Uh, also to learn more about Mintel or for more information on uh, any of our insights, then please head over to Mintel.com. Uh, and also be sure to subscribe to Little Conversation wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, but all that's left for me to say is thank you once again uh, to Ruyi, to Toby and to Marissa uh, for joining me today. Uh, but also thank you for listening. Stay safe wherever you are and have a great day. Mm-hmm.